Hello, you're listening to the Palmerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit palmerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, welcome everyone as we are, uh, it's so good to see everyone being able to connect and say hi to one another. And, and I'm like that guy who's like, hey, everyone, stop doing what you're doing and look at me, which is unfortunate. But uh, we're glad to be able to have this time to dive into God's word together. And again, if you're just joining with us or you haven't been with us for a few weeks, uh, we are in a series called The Content Life. And in a, in a world in which there's division and anger and frustration and anxiety and depression and discouragement, what would it look like to be able to be resilient through that, and we could still experience those things. I'm not devaluing that anxiety and depression are real and that these struggles are real. If you know my story, you know I struggled with depression and was suicidal for years uh, when I was in high school and middle school. So I understand the, the reality of it. But what does it look like for us to be able to acknowledge that we can still have joy, peace, and contentment in the midst of chaos around us? And we looked throughout this entire summer, we're coming up to the second to last week, look through, looking through this book of Philippians that Paul wrote while in a jail cell. If you're with us last week, Pastor Evan gave us the, reminded us of the context that he was in a jail cell for years as he was riding to the church in Philippi and encouraging them to find joy, to find peace, and to have a content life from a prison cell thousands of miles away. And yet those words of joy, peace, and a content life still resonate with us that Paul wrote in a prison cell, but reach us now thousands of years in the future. We can still call out for a content life, a desire to have a life of contentment. Now, our sermon this morning is called The Power of Whatever. Now, I, wanna, I don't want to do a show of hands because I don't want to, you know, create conflicts necessarily, but have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and as you're having a conversation and, and it starts to turn to conflict, remember we talked about conflict uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it starts to turn to conflict and then your, you know, your anger starts to boil or you, it starts to rise a little bit and you just are so done with this conversation, you just go, ah, whatever, and you just walk away. Has that worked for anybody? Is that, is that, a, is that an effective uh, effective conflict management technique? I don't think so, right? But it's something that we feel. And, and I remember hearing early on in marriage, uh, Steph and I have been married for 16 years, and I remember hearing early on the idea that, you know, whatever can be a really harmful word to use. Because if someone's sharing their emotion, sharing their perspective, and this doesn't just go in a, in a spouse relationship, but with your kids, with your grandkids, with coworkers, with friends, with neighbors, if you ever get into a conversation with someone and it gets so elevated and you just say whatever, it it's implies something. It implies that we're dismissing or it implies that we're apathetic or it implies that we just don't care enough about you or about what you're saying to walk into a difficult conversation together or to navigate a healthy resolution to a difficult conversation together. So whatever can be a very dismissive term, a term that disregards, dismisses, devalues, 
And as we've been talking over the past few weeks, the idea, and we talked about it two weeks ago with the conflict, how when it comes to this idea of when someone doesn't have the exact same thoughts as I do or the same alignments as I do or the same worldview as I do, it's really easy for us to be able to put them in the other box. And then we show love to the us and we show disdain or dismissiveness towards the other. And yet, Jesus, when he came, he came and he showed love to the other and he challenged the religious elite that would be considered the us or the inner circle. So what does it look like for us to acknowledge that we will get into conversations with people who do not agree with us? What does it look like for us to find ways not to divide and to dismiss, but to unite and converse? What does it look like for us to see that whatever as dismissive as a term that is, that's not how we're gonna look at it this morning. We're gonna try to unpack what it looks like, the power of this idea of whatever, because whatever can be a dismissive term. We are gonna pause it, we're gonna walk through today how whatever can also be, when it comes to our relationship with God, whatever is not a dismissive term, but it's a submissive term. It's a term that submits to whatever God has for us. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're in person live, watching live online, listening or watching on demand throughout the week, God. We're grateful that each person who hears my voice today is someone who is deeply loved by you, God. Someone that Jesus died for. Someone that the Holy Spirit, who we just sang about, wants to meet and draw us closer and more like Christ this morning. So, Father, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, you would increase, you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how is it that whatever can not just be a dismissive term, what does it look like in our passage? And when you're studying the Bible, and, you know, I have the honor to be able to to study and prepare for a sermon, um, and all of you, you have different times to do Bible studies individually or in small groups or things like that. But in your, in your time of study, it's so important to be able to look at words that are repeated throughout a passage. What's the point? What's the, what's the direction? What stands out? What do we see over and over again? So I'm just going to read Philippians 4, 8 through 13. And I'm going to read it all at once. And then we're going to take some time over the next 30 minutes or so to go verse by verse with different points. But here's what Philippians 4, 8 through 13 is. And I'm going to highlight the word that we're focusing on today. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what, is the, what it is to be in, plen- in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, we know Philippians 4.13 is one of the first verses I ever learned. 
I remember when I first became a Christian, I, and I was at UC San Diego for my sophomore year, and there was a car within the student parking lot that had Philippians 4.13 as a license plate. And so I just come to know the Lord. And this is a verse, I'm like, oh, I can do all things through strike Christ who gives me strength. And it's a verse that has a lot of power in it, but it's a verse that if misunderstood, it makes us think that we can do things within our own strength rather than through Christ's strength. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit in a few moments, but notice before we jump into that, how many times the word whatever is used in this passage. That whatever is not a dismissive term, it's a, it's a saying no matter what, whatever is going to happen, Paul's learned how to be content. Whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever it is that I want to put my focus on, that's what I want to do. Whatever is, does not have to be a dismissive term. It's a term that opens up the possibility of what God has for each and every one of us. So what I want to do is we're going to talk through four brief notes. If you grab the handout, I just put four lines in there. Um, you can leave, take your own notes. You cannot take your own notes. Uh, if you don't take notes, just don't tell me because then I won't feel like you're paying attention. But um, I'm kidding. But with that said, Here's what I want to talk about, whatever, and the importance of whatever. The first point that we're going to talk about today is that whatever we ponder determines what we practice. So on the screen, we'll have whatever we ponder determines what we practice. And so here's the point that we have there. This comes from verse 8. So let's go ahead and put that on the screen. Whatever we ponder determines what we practice. And then let's jump into verse 8, and we're going to focus on um, the first part here. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I want to highlight, we're going to go into what some of those other words mean, but I wanted to highlight the idea of think about such things. That this idea of thinking is not a brief cursory moment of, oh, yeah, I thought about that, but it's an ongoing command to think and in one of the translations or one of the commentaries talked about to ponder something. When you really take some time to think about something on a deeper level or, or with more intentionality, rather than just, you know, what am I going to eat today or what am I, which, which restaurant am I going to go to after uh, church for lunch? It's, it's just kind of a cursory thought. It's, it's this deeper pondering and the focus is that what we ponder will determine what we practice. Now, um, some of you know that I have a, a hobby called geocaching. Has anyone ever heard of geocaching before? Thank you for humoring me. Um, it's this, I love it. It's something where you have GPS coordinates. It's a scavenger hunt throughout the world. There's different, uh, you get coordinates and you go to a location and you try to find hidden treasure and it's delightful. So I'm really excited uh, because this coming sun, uh, Saturday, excuse me, is the 20th anniversary. It's actually the 22nd anniversary of geocaching because it started in May of 2000. But because of the pandemic, they had to push back the 20th celebration event. So it's the 22nd uh, anniversary of it. But the idea behind it is that this is an event where there are thousands of people coming from across the world in order to come to Seattle, Washington, which is the headquarters of geocaching.com, and to be able to put together this event that is celebrating this huge, huge milestone within this hobby that I enjoy. And so I remember when this first came out, when I first found out about it two and a half years ago, and I was like, hey, Steph, is there, like, is there a way that I can go? And we kind of had this conversation back and forth. And 
it got pushed back to 2021 and they got pushed back again to 2022. And so in the beginning of this year, I talked to her and she said that it would work out for me to be able to go. And so for the past few days specifically, but off and on throughout this year, but specifically in the past few days, I've been pondering how to make the most of my trip to Seattle. This goes from everything to figuring out what's the, what's the rarest type of geocache. Again, I'm nerding out, but just bear with me. Um, what's, the most, what's the rarest type? What are the ones I want to go for? If I only get two the whole time I'm there, which two am I going to do? It also determines where am I going to stay, pondering and scheduling that. How am I going to rent a car? Where is it I'm going to eat? Because what I want to do is look up diners, dive-ins, and drives. If you guys watch that show, and I want to figure out where do I eat in Seattle that's going to be the best place to eat. And so it's, it's navigating all these different things, and it's pondering, it's thinking, it's figuring out, okay, what's my itinerary? How do I best take advantage of, I'm in town for about uh, 50 hours in Seattle. How do I navigate the best I can for 50 hours? And you're all like, don't sleep. I'm like, yes, no. But... What does it look like? And it's more than just, again, a cursory thought. Like, oh, I think I'll go to Seattle in a couple weeks. It's pondering. It's thinking. It's allowing that to be something that I'm intentional about and trying to organize, trying to work through, trying to think through. Paul obviously is not talking about geocaching in this circumstance, but he's talking about this deeper level, continuous command to keep thinking about something. And not just anything. Let's go to the next slide. It, he unpacks these different verbs here. He doesn't, excuse me, he doesn't unpack it. He mentions these different, um, these different qualities, these different items here. It says, whatever is true. Now, we could just stop right there. We could have an entire conversation about the importance of truth. When we were at uh, Hume Lake with the students a couple of weeks ago, the whole theme was about the importance of truth, the importance of God's truth, rather than the moral relativism or the subjective my truth. When we think, oh, this is my truth, and you have your truth. But there are things that are the truth, that Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. And so we know that God's word is true. And so when we, I want to briefly mention that when it says whatever is true, we're not looking at the world around us to tell us what's true. We're not even looking at our own feelings to tell us what's true and our own perspective subjectively. We are looking at what God's word says is true. And then we are allowing God's word to determine our practices, how we live, how we love, how we serve, how we interact, how we bless, and how we navigate this chaotic world around us. We don't get to determine our own truth. In fact, this one of the speakers in the high school, in Ponderosa in the high school, talked about how the very first question, the very first words from the Bible that was a question was, did God really say you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? When God had told Adam and Eve they couldn't eat from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. But the serpent came in, the enemy came in and was like, did God say you couldn't eat on any tree in the garden? She's like, no. But that very first question was an attack on truth. It was an attack on the words of God. And saying, did, he, did, did God really say that? Did he really, is that true? But it's needing to know what God's word says and to live out of his truth and not trying to make up our own. It says, whatever is noble, this idea is whatever is honorable, whatever is worthy, whatever um, is revered. It kind of comes from this idea of worship. So has reverence towards. So whatever is noble, whatever is right, and this means just, 
Whatever is right in the eyes of have a right relationship with God and with our fellow man. To love God and love people, what is right? The, the idea of pure, without any blemish, morally pure, to think about those things, which is a challenge in our world already when there's so many ways and so many opportunities for people to stumble in what we take in, whatever we partake on. But are we thinking and focusing and pondering on those things or on what God wants for us? Whatever is lovely, whatever, another word is pleasing, whatever is winsome, whatever is attractive, whatever is admirable, he says, this is something that is commendable, or the actual Greek is a combination of the words of good and speaking. So whatever would cause you to be good spoken of or spoken well of, anything that is excellent, and this is moral excellence, not just getting a, an excellent grade on a paper or an excellent, you know, review in your job, but morally excellent. And then anything that is praiseworthy, anything that would be worthy of giving praise or receiving praise, ponder, think deeply, continually focus on those things. As the world will bombard us with the exact opposite of all those things. Not what is true, but what is false. Not what is noble, but what is depraved. Not what is right and just, but what is immoral. Not what is pure, but what is defiled. Not what is lovely, but something that is hateful. When the world emboldens people to think those are the right things, ponder those things, we woefully lose our path. So it's saying, think about these things, constantly ponder them. Why? Because our next point talks about if we already say, that whatever we ponder determines what we practice. On the screen, point two is going to say, whatever we practice determines where we find our peace. Why? Because the end of verse 8 says this. The end of verse 8, oh, excuse me, verse 9 says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Whatever you've heard, Whatever you've learned, whatever you received, whatever you've seen, Paul, as he's done a few times in the book of Philippians already, is saying, look at me as an example. I'm not perfect, but follow me, and you, I'm going to live my life this way, and so you can follow my lead. He says, whatever you've learned, heard, seen, whatever you see in me, put those things into practice. Don't just ponder them. Don't just ponder what it's like to live a morally pure life. Take steps to remove temptation so you can do so. Don't just ponder what it would be like to be able to live on truth. Pursue God's truth to be the determiner of what truth is. See, don't just ponder them. It's important to do that, but then take the next step to put it into practice. Because if we put what God says into practice, it doesn't mean everything is going to go well in our lives in the same way that not everything went well in Paul's life. But what it showed was that in the midst of the chaos, Paul was able to have peace. The God of peace will be with you. That this peace is not the absence of conflict. This peace is the presence of God. It doesn't matter what's going on around us in our world, in our homes, in our families, in our lives, in our workplaces, in our schools. We can still have peace despite the chaos. Because peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of God. Now, I want to read uh, from this devotional, um, and so I'm going to read on the screens if you'll join with me. 
It's talking about this idea that we have different cravings, that we feel discontented and that we long for things. And Chris Tigreen, who um, wrote a devotional I absolutely love, he wrote this in one of his days. He said, whatever the reason, we can know at least one thing about our cravings. They indicate we're missing something deep within us. We have a gnawing hunger for more meaning, more purpose, more results. We can thank God that he made us that way. It's his design for our fruit-bearing and our growing relationship with him. But we also have to be aware of how sin has distorted that design. The next slide says this. We turned it toward possessions, people, places, and personal agendas. Instead of letting a holy discontentment drive us towards God and his kingdom, we let a twisted discontentment drive us toward fulfilling our needs in unholy ways. We're looking for life in all the wrong places. That what we put into practice, we can say we want to find peace in God. We, want to, we could say we want to find our identity in him, but deep down, if we only feel like we are valuable, if we get good grades at school, the moment we get a bad one, our, our peace is gone. If we only feel we're valuable based on how much money we have, how, much, how many possessions we have, how secure we are financially, the moment there's a recession or inflation, we lose control and we get anxious. If we believe that our life is all about just getting people to like us or to get the approval of those around us, the moment someone isn't, our foundation is shaken. See, our peace, if it's found in the chaos, when we try to find peace in the things that create chaos, we will always be without peace. But if we could find our peace by putting into practice what God says and finding our identity in him, then the chaos can be surrounding us and we could find joy peace, and a content life. We do not have to be beholden to our circumstances. We do not have to be reliant on the chaos around us in order for us to feel loved, valued, and as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And if we pursue this, this drive that we know we're missing something, and if we use that and anchor toward pursuing our own pursuits, our selfish pursuits, the ones that, that will never fulfill us, then this discontentment in us, this more this, we want more plaudits, more approval, more praises, more things like that, it will be a desire that is never satisfied. Think about the things that you've pursued most in your life. Approval of other people, possessions, status, a good reputation, money, maybe your physical health and you take such value in that in the moment that your physical health starts to decline, you, you start to fight against it. The things that we try to pursue most and we are discontent and we pursue them and it's not the things of God, they will disappoint. It's like building our lives upon shifting sand. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, those who listen to my words and put them into practice. In Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29, 
This is the one who builds their house upon the rock. But those who hear my words and do not put them into practice is like one who builds upon sand. The waves come, or the, the flood comes for both. The wind batters the sides of both. The rain comes down on both. But the only one that can withstand the storm is the one who found their foundation on Jesus. The one who put the words that they hear, whether it's in a Sunday morning, in a Bible study, in your devotional every day, that puts the words that God is saying into practice, that is how we are able to experience peace in the midst of the storms and the chaos around us. So we talk about, for me, I, I, I want people to approve of me. I've shared this with you before, and then I always say like, it, it's like I've, I've said before, like I'm a recovering approvaholic in the sense of I'm in, like I struggle still. Like there are times where I want to say I don't care what people think, but not in a dismissive way, right? Because that's not loving. But in the way like, oh, I'm, I'm okay. Like everyone, like I'm, I'm, it doesn't bother me. People are upset with me. And then the moment someone does, I feel a little bit of my foundation crumble if I'm not careful. What is that for you? And what does it look like that if we put God's word into practice that we can have a foundation that allows us to have peace in the midst of it. This isn't it, though. There's more in our passage today. Number three, we're still looking at the power of whatever. The power of whatever, whatever we find our peace in determines our perspective. Whatever we find our peace in determines our perspective. If we think that our peace is found in our own physical health, then our perspective means the world shatters when we lose that health. If we think that our peace is found in our bank accounts, that perspective is shattered when things go wrong. We, we unpack this, we know this, and we live this sometimes in a way that is not, not the way that God wants us to because we want to find our peace in him. Here's Paul's perspective as someone who's been in jail for years for something that he's just waiting to be able to share his trial, as Pastor Evan did a great job explaining last week. Here's where he goes in verses 10 and 11. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me, writing to the Philippians. Remember, the context of this is that the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to give gifts to Paul all the way from Rome. And then Paul writes this letter after finding out what's going on in Philippi and sends Epaphroditus right back to him, right back to them, excuse me, with this letter. And he says, I'm glad indeed you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This idea of I have learned to be content and to have peace regardless of what's going on. The perspective then becomes I'm okay not because there's the absence of conflict, but I have peace because I have the presence of Jesus. Paul talk, or Jack J. Miller in his, in his commentary says this, Paul had learned to get content to be dissatisfied with what he has and had, and to be inwardly independent of the varying outward circumstances. Let's leave that up for a moment. If contentment just meant that we were okay with what we had, that longing for more stuff, more approval, more friends, more whatever, if we were just satisfied with what God has given us, John, in the book of, in John 3, 27 says, one can only receive what the Lord has given. That God, God is the author of our story and gives us what we have at any moment. And so as a child who can get upset with wanting more, and a parent says, you have enough. You don't need more. God looks and he says, you don't need more, you need me. 
Stop pursuing outward things to give you hope because when outward circumstances fall, then those outward places of your hope will crumble. Find your hope in me. Have the perspective that you can be inwardly independent of the varying outside circumstances. Wouldn't it be beautiful if we as Christ followers who have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, wouldn't it be beautiful as Christ followers who pursue and know and love and have a relationship with the Prince of Peace, wouldn't it be beautiful if we exhibited peace in a chaotic world? Wouldn't it be winsome and lovely and spoken well of by outsiders, if people who don't know Jesus yet, if they saw like, you have a hope and a peace when the world is crumbling. Why is that? Well, it's because I listened to the words of Jesus and I built my life upon it. And Jesus in his own words says that when that happens, the storms cannot destroy our foundation. That we get just as riled up I, we get just as riled up about the world around us as everyone else, but friends, what would it look like if we were beyond that? We continue on. Let's go to the, uh, the next slide. We talk about the importance of that whatever we ponder determines our practice. Whatever we practice determines our, pers- or our peace. Whatever we find peace in determines our perspective. And whatever, or whatever perspective we have determines the source of power. Not this self-ability to, to be superman or superwoman or to be, have power within ourselves from our own inner strength, but to find power from Christ and Christ alone. Verse 12, Paul continues, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I highlighted here this idea of we know what it's like to be in need, and we know what it's like to be in plenty. He could find contentment in either. And I remember when my mom and I, uh, when I was 10 years old, we took a trip up to Seattle, um, and then we went up to... uh, Victoria in Canada. And that first night in Canada, we were there and we didn't have, we, we hadn't planned where we were going to stay. I remember walking around and just thinking about, you know, not knowing where we were going to sleep that night and my mom trying to figure it out. We eventually were able to stay in a hostel, but for that, for that hour or so, just not knowing where we were going to sleep, not knowing, and it was just a brief glimpse, a, a moment a, a, in time where if, if I was like, I don't know, I'm worried, I'm scared, I don't know what's going to happen. And again, we were fine, it was not a big deal, but for that moment I was worried. And yet, we know what it's like to not have enough. But Charles Spurgeon, in his devotional, Mornings and Evenings, I believe it's on the February 10th version, um, excuse me, February 10th devotional for the morning, he talks about this verse. And this is what he says, and I wonder if this resonates with you as much and as often as it resonates with me. He says, when we have much of God's providential mercies, it, ho- it often happens that we have but little of God's grace and little gratitude for the bounties we've received, right? Because we want more. We think that we're self-independent. We think that we can do things on our own. So we're not grateful for what he's given us. We are full and we forget God. Satisfied with earth, we are content to do without heaven. Rest assured, it is harder to know how to be full than it is to know how to be hungry. So desperate is the tendency of human nature to pride and forgetfulness of God. So take care that you ask in your prayers that God would teach you, teach me 
teach us how to be content when we are full. He continues on, or he says earlier that the crucible of adversity is often better for faith than the comfort of prosperity. Because when we are prosperous on our own, we trust on our own ability, our own self-aggrandizement, our own self-satisfaction, our own self-assurance, and when we remember ourselves, we end up forgetting God. We are content to do what earth has to offer, and we forget and to choose not to pursue heaven. So Paul's saying, I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know how to still rely on God. I know what it's like to not have anything and to still rely on God. Both are difficult in their own right. And for us in our context, where we live in our country, in our world, we ought to, we ought to pursue what it's like to be content with what we have already and to find our fullness not in our bellies or in our bank accounts or in our garages, but to find our fullness in God. Continuing on in verse, thir- uh, verse 13, emphasizing we can do all things through him who gives me strength. And again, this does not mean that if you're, if you're someone who can bench press 100 pounds that you're able to do 175 pounds because you have Christ, right? This is the idea that we have a strength to face, a source of power to face whatever comes next. The, the Living Bible translation says it this way. For I can do everything on the screen, it says. For I can do everything God asks me to with the help of Christ who gives me strength and power. That word strength is the word dunamis, which has the same root that we get the word dynamite from. That explosive power, this this kind of power that allows us to face things that's beyond our own strength. And then Archibald Thomas Robertson says, Paul has such strength so long as Jesus keeps on putting power, dunamis, into him. Notice this. It's not a, I got power from God one time, and now I can face everything. It's a, I need consistently and constantly through relationship with God, through time in his word, through time in prayer, I need to have a relationship so that he keeps putting power into me. In the same way that when you get a phone and you plug it in once, you don't say, okay, now I have enough power to survive the lifetime of this phone. You constantly have to charge it. In the same way that, although I wish this were different, we don't fill up our gas tanks once and then we're okay for the rest of the duration of our owning of that vehicle. We need a constant refilling. We need to go into our times with the Lord and say, God, I'm pondering you. I'm learning about you. I'm putting what you're saying into practice. Because I'm putting it into practice, I'm experiencing your peace. Because I'm putting in, experiencing your peace, I have the perspective that you will be with me even when things are difficult. And because I have the perspective that you will be with me even though things are difficult, I can have a source of power that is beyond my own ability. It's not that we find our own strength in Christ. We find strength in Christ who gives us strength. But if we don't spend time with them, we don't get charged. If we don't spend time with them, we don't get filled up. If we're not constantly seeking relationship with God and building that deeper relationship with him, then the strength dissipates. And friends, if we're not careful, we'll blame 
God for not giving us strength when the reality is is that the blame more comes on us without constantly coming to him in relationship to receive from him. And then, friends, the cycle will then continue, right? Because if we're finding our peace and our power in him, in him then what are we going to do? We're going to want to spend more time pondering what he's teaching us in his word, which will give us ideas of what to practice, which will help with our perspective, which will give us peace, which will give us power, which will keep us in a vibrant, growing, fruit-bearing, living life to the full relationship with God. Friends, whatever you put your focus on will determine how you live your life. We've said it before, I've said it again, Andy Stanley talks about the principle of the path, that it is direction, not intention, that determines our destination. It's not just what we want to do, it's what we choose to do in the direction we align our lives. So friends, as we close today, and we've just got a minute left, I have just a few questions for us to wrestle with. You don't have to write them down. You can if you want, but where is it that you are trying to find your peace? What is it that you pursue or who, what or who is it that you pursue the most? And those are reflective questions, right? But instead of a reflective question, Let's ask a dreaming question. What would it look like? How would you feel a year from now if you knew that you could have peace regardless of the chaos around you? Because you've been pondering God's word, you've been putting it into practice, it's been giving you peace, it gives you perspective, and it gives you power. What would it look like? How would you feel a year from now if you knew that come what may, whatever God has in store, I will have peace joy, and a content life. Because friends, whatever, when it comes to our relationship with God and with others, whatever does not need to be, it should not be a dismissive term. That when we come to God and we say, whatever you have for me, it's not dismissive, it's submissive and surrendering our lives to the God of peace. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is God-breathed. God, I thank you that it is useful for teaching and rebuke, that is, teach, that is useful for encouragement, that it draws us close to you. God, I pray some of us in this room or listening or watching online, God, we are depleted of your power. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's because we recognize we have not been consistent in plugging in and being filled by you. Instead of turning and blaming you for our circumstances, may we use and see the circumstances around us as a need to find our peace in you. Lord, help us to draw one step closer to you today than we were when we walked in or when we turned on the service this morning. Convict us of the ways we find our peace or try to find our peace in something other than you and encourage us to dream what it would look like for us to find contentment, peace, and joy no matter what chaos is around us. Because in so doing, we will shine like stars. We'll be a city on a hill. And we'll be able to point other people to the reason for our peace.
peace. And that's you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.
Thank you for listening to the podcast. 